Hello, everyone. My name is DeAndre Sinet, and I am your host for Distinct Lens Podcast. I have a special guest here today. His name is Steve Chamberlain. Uh, Steve, I'll go ahead and allow you to introduce yourself, and then we'll jump right in. Fantastic. Thanks, Trey. Um, so, yeah, hi, my name is Steve Chamberlain. So I work as a coach and a facilitator. Uh, I'm based just outside of London, so just into Kent uh, in the UK. Um, and I actually know Trey because uh, Trey was on the Ivy House program that I'm one of the coaches and facilitators on. So that's how I had the pleasure of, of getting to know him and, and actually working um, as his coach through that program as well. Um, I guess I specialize in areas of uh, helping people clarify their values, their purpose. Uh, yeah, figure out what it is that they're here to do. That, that's, the, that's kind of what makes my, uh, my boat float, so to speak. <laughs> a wonderful introduction and I'm glad you added that bit about how we met uh, through Ivy House and just for our audience Steve is an amazing coach. Um, Steve I want to ask do you have like a website or a link where we can find you and also plug your book really quickly because I've listened <laughs> to it but I like for you to let the audience know as well. Okay, yeah, perfect. Thanks, Dre. So, yeah, if you want to find out more about my work, you can head to stevechamberlain.co.uk. So, stevechamberlain.co.uk. Um, and yeah, I guess the, I wrote a book a, a couple of years ago now, and it was the culmination of, of almost like my life journey. And it's called On Purpose uh, What Are You Really Here to Do? It's available on Amazon and Audible and as a Kindle as, as well. So on purpose, what are you really here to do? And it takes you on a journey through seven stages. Um, the first stage is figuring out your values, kind of who you are, what matters to you most. Second stage is what, how do you use that knowledge along with your strengths and passions to figure out what your purpose is, the unique contribution you're here to make. And then from then, the rest of the book is all about... <clears throat> Well, how do you make that your reality? So it's about freeing up any limiting beliefs, mm -hmm. creating a mindset that sets you up for success, mm -hmm. um, how to live fully in the present moment through mindfulness so you actually don't miss the journey that it's mm -hmm. all about, um, and how to find contentment and fulfillment at the end of it. So, um, yeah, it, it was my kind of life's work to put that into a, into a book for anyone that I'm not able to coach one-to-one. -one. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. Well, I had the privilege and honor to be coached by Steve, and I also had the audio. I have the audio version of his book, and it is wonderful. I would recommend everyone who's listening definitely go check it out and uh, real actually revisit that information, your URL to your website, as well as your book. Plug that one more time at the end for our listeners as well, in case they need to grab a pen. So this is just a heads up to everybody. Um, so I just want to go ahead and dive right in. So Steve, as you're aware, uh, a Stink Lens podcast is a platform that I've created to share the experiences of the Black diaspora for the purposes of us leveling up in terms of financial literacy so that uh, more of us can start to practice group economics in those underserved communities from a financial literacy standpoint. Now, a lot of people might be thinking, well, Steve, obviously he isn't uh, Black, he is an African-American, um, he's, he's Caucasian. So why is he on the podcast? I like to tackle these topics up front for any, anyone wondering. And the reason why Steve is here, number one, is because he's awesome. But number two is because I like to have diverse perspectives, especially when we're tackling, tackling such a universal issue, because financial literacy, it crosses, it crosses all boundaries, and that includes race, gender, generations. And so uh, having a diverse perspective, I think, will add some context to this conversation, to this discussion. And I think it will inform people a lot more moving forward. 
Uh, so first question to you, Steve. Um, how was your life growing up in, in the UK? Yeah. So my life growing up, um, there's almost two ways that I could answer that. Um, the first is really, really comfortable, if I'm honest. So growing up, I was fortunate enough to um, grow up in a family that were not not kind of super wealthy, but were well off. You know, my dad worked for a big insurance company. Uh, it was back in the days when it was a very um, stable job market. So it was kind of pretty much that job for life piece. So he was so he worked uh, for that company literally for pretty much his entire life, certainly from like mid 20s right the way through to when he retired. Um, through that, he had to go through a couple of possible redundancies, but managed to, to avoid that. So it really was quite a kind of simple journey for relatively simple uh, from an outsider's perspective for him. That meant that we um, had a comfortable life. So we lived in, you know, a nice, um, nice home. Like it was a four bed home in, in Bristol, in England, where I grew up. Um, we managed to have holidays without any money worries that I was aware of as a child. And I don't feel like I was protected or shielded from them. So I, I don't think they were really there. Um, my mum didn't need to work financially, but chose to do some work from, a, you know, trying to find some some purpose in her life as well. So that's one answer. Comfortable sounds nice. And I'm guessing all of your listeners would say, well, lucky you, We're, you know, maybe some would be saying, I wish I was had had that as an upbringing. So that, that's one perspective. Um, I guess there's another perspective um, in terms of actually behind the closed doors. How was it um, actually pretty challenging? Um, as, as a child. So my mum suffered with anxiety and depression um, and, and they kind of came in cycles together. And that was, a, yeah, a, a, the backdrop um, to, to my childhood. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons she was searching for this purpose. It was actually one of the reasons I ended up writing the book that I wrote, because in the oh. intro, I, I talk a little bit about a life of quiet desperation um and that's what I experienced within the home was actually because I think her role became to to look after me and my sister um rather than knowing any other purpose for her I think it, she felt quite trapped in that environment um so even though the finances were there I think there was a almost a realization that finances and and safety debt isn't everything. It's important. I think it is a foundation, but I, I kind of see it as it's not the whole piece of the picture. Um, and then I guess from a, um, you know, looking through the lens of this podcast, it, it was interesting because we never wanted for anything, but I wouldn't say, you know, the whole rich dad, poor dad, uh, you know, book and the mindset. I, I would say, actually, I grew up, even though the, the finances were there, it was more the poor dad's mentality. mentality. Because my mum and my dad had both grown up, and my dad particularly in, in not full poverty, but in a fair bit of poverty, um, I think there was still a scarcity mindset and still a bit of a fear around money not having enough, even though we did have enough. So it was quite interesting. So I've noticed as I've left that home and grown up, I still have a bit of a scarcity mindset, a bit of a fear around all things money even though I grew up in an environment that you would think, actually, I should be pretty comfortable with money. So, uh, so hopefully that paints a bit of a picture. Yes, that definitely paints a picture. Um, 
And just a quick recap, it sounds from what you're saying to me that you guys have grew up financially comfortable, but that um, that financial literate mindset that wasn't in the household and that wasn't something that was passed on to yourself and uh, money doesn't solve all problems. Uh, just some a couple things that you touched on as well. Uh, when you say redundancies, uh, for those in the in the states, could you explain what that means? Because it means it means something slightly different here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so apologies if I've used a word that doesn't quite translate across. But yeah, redundancies in England um, are if a company's going to uh, restructure <clears throat> and some people are going to be at risk of losing their jobs. Mm then there may be a process where they have to reapply for their jobs to stay employed. And if they don't make it through that process, then they lose their job um, and would get a payout, probably a redundancy payout, depending on how long they've been at the company for. So my dad twice had to apply, reapply for his position. I remember him saying one time, I don't think it would be allowed these days, but the, the way they did it, which is shocking, this is about 30 years ago now, um, so they basically said, sit at your desk, and someone is going to walk around, and if they tap you on the shoulder, you've lost your job. <laughs> wow, that would definitely not go over well today. <laughs> no <way. laughs> that would be an HR nightmare. Oh yeah, there'd be some lawsuits coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then the other thing that I wanted to touch on um, was what you spoke about uh, when you were talking about your mother and the forward to your book and how it was uh, the book itself. It was written for well, with her in mind. Um, that anxiety, that depression as a child, did you know that, or was that something that you realized as an adult and you reflected on? Yeah. Great question. Um, yeah, I was conscious of it as a child, um, without a doubt. I mean, I remember one day, I think I was only about seven or eight, but coming home and just finding my mum sobbing in the kitchen. Mm. Um, and you know, then me obviously going over and saying, are you okay? And you could see that she didn't want to, you know, just wanted to kind of swallow it and, mm. and, you know, just pretend everything was normal. Um, and she used to go into her bedroom and, and be in there for a couple of days sometimes to try and get her head straight. Mm -hmm. um, so it was challenging. And um, in an interesting way, I would say also, I, I possibly wouldn't be doing the work that I do now if that hadn't been my upbringing. Um, I think it, it almost um, paved the way for me to develop empathy and compassion at a level that wouldn't have been needed or wouldn't have happened without that environment so mm. in a strange way I almost feel like it's led me to, to this path and being able to do the work that I do and and yeah as, as you touched on you know the, the book I see as genuinely my intention behind it is I don't want anyone to experience what my mum went through mm. um, and I started to experience it a bit in my early kind of 20s and stuff as well and then mm. managed to navigate my way through it so it's very much about I, I'm a big believer that if we have the insights and the deep self-knowledge of ourselves and we can start to carve a life based around who we really are and the life we really want to lead mm. then whether we've got lots of money that flows through that or whether we've got enough mm. to be okay I think you can still lead a very contentious and fulfilled life. Okay. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. And you just, uh, what, what we're talking about right now is like mental health issues. And I, I like the fact that we're touching on this and we're having this conversation because I feel like we don't have that enough, especially in relation to money. Uh, because a, a lot of people do see finances and having enough money as a panacea and it's not. 
um, there are some issues that that are that are deep rooted and sometimes take some real self-reflection and external analysis for us really to resolve those and work through them successfully. And and having you speak to that, uh, I think it's super beneficial for all of our all of our listeners as well as for, for myself as well. Um, so next question I want to ask. Um, so you you grew up in the UK. Uh, I'm assuming you were schooled all through. Uh, well, you were schooled in in the UK. Yes. As well. Okay. Uh, and I want to ask: Did the education? Do you feel the education system properly prepared you to handle finances? <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> a word answer, but I'll, I'll uh, expand on that a little bit. Okay. Um, I mean, I could almost expand that question out to did school prepare me for life? Mm. Not, not necessarily, not the practicalities, not the, you know, the day to day of it. It gave mm. me knowledge on some things that had happened in the past, but mm. much of which I haven't found relevant to day to day living. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I don't think there was... was and there wasn't a single lesson around financial literacy through through my whole education through um, GCSEs, which was kind of you know normal high school in the U, in the in, in the states as it would be, and then through to A levels, college, um, and university, it just wasn't touched on at all. It was um, yeah, it was absent. And and I guess what what that brings up for me is this piece of if you happen, you know, I happen to grow up in a home. Mm-hmm where money was comfortable wasn't a challenge and that became and I saw how to handle incomings and outgoings in a way that made that possible as well and I had a sense of holding down a job and all these kind of things all of that was role modeled to me and I just almost absorbed all of that now um, which meant that even though it wasn't being taught at school or taught at home I was at least absorbing it at home Mm. and it does make me reflect if I'd come from a more impoverished background if I hadn't didn't have that role modeling at home Mm. then there wouldn't have been anywhere else to get that information from unless I was seeking it out myself and then if you go to the other end of the spectrum if I'd grown up in a very wealthy background with parents who were investing their money and sending it out into the world to come back bigger and brighter or whatever Mm. then I'd be I'd be looking at stocks and shares from a very young age and all that compound interest that you know we know over the course of a lifetime has a big impact so it does seem to me that there's yeah it's absent in school and then it's just luck of the draw what you're exposed to at home. And it, and it sounds like um, you were fortunate to be exposed to that at home. Uh, and it and for me, it was similar. I learned about finances indirectly through my parents. Uh, we were never sat down and, and had a conversation about it. I learned by observations. And it, I learned some good things and I learned some bad things. Uh, but that's exactly what my experience was like as well. Um, I'm just thinking about what you touched on before uh, around mental health and, and finances. And now we're talking about education and how the school system didn't prepare you, not only for finances, but for life. Um, how important do you think it is for us in a community to be prepared for life and finances mm. by the education system and at home? Yeah, I think it's vital. I mean, it's just life ultimately should be a level playing field as, as I see it. I, I just fundamentally disagree with this um, 
you know the system as i see it at the moment is it's not a level playing field mm. everyone's got different chips everyone's got different hand you know different hand that they're dealt um and i'm very conscious that you know by the luck of the draw so to speak, I was born in to a, a place of privilege, you know, white privilege and um, middle class, I guess you could say privilege as well. Um, and, you know, it's only honestly in the last couple of years, I'd say that I've become conscious, fully conscious of that privilege. It, it's mm. been so, uh, you know, it's like a fish doesn't know it's in the sea. I don't know I'm in privilege until I get to step back from it and observe it and see it's not the same for, for everyone from different places. Now, you know, you only have to look at the news for 20 minutes on any day to see what a mess the world is in at this moment in time. And we are, we are literally destroying the ecosystem that we depend upon. It, I mean, that's, it's insanity. And yet we're doing it quicker and more, even though we have that knowledge, you know, it's accelerating the pace at which we're doing that. Now, what that points to for me is that um, we are not harnessing the the unique talent you know however many billion is it seven eight billion people on the planet the if you think collectively of the the talent the insight the wisdom the the capability the possibility of all of those people combined if we're all on a level playing field and we're all pulling in the same direction towards a better future for ourselves for our planet mm-hmm you know, it would not take long for things to turn around, but that's not the system at the moment. The system, as I see it at the moment, I'm going to sound a bit anti-capitalist now, but the system as I see it at the moment, is it's stacked. You know, capitalism is, you have a few people at the top who, who win it all, and then there's many people below who get less and less. And it, the further down you get, the harder it is to work your way up that pyramid. And it's, I just, I, yeah, I see that as fundamentally wrong. Okay. Uh, excellent answer. Um, something I want to touch on you said uh, it wasn't until a couple years ago that you realized that you were that fish in water how did that realization come about like when did you realize hmm my life is different from other people's and I I am fortunate to be born into the situation that I that I was born in yeah great question um it's hard to pinpoint there's not a moment that comes to my mind Mm. um I I almost see it this is going to go a bit deep now, but I almost see it as, you know, part of my role on this planet is while I'm here, I want to raise my level of consciousness as, as high as I can get it, or at least create the environment within which my consciousness can evolve and develop, even if I'm not the one doing that. Um, so, you know, I, I practice me- mindfulness and meditation um, every day and, and as much as I can every moment um, of, of every day of, of my life. Um, and I think through that, I, I think as I experience it, the higher your level of consciousness or another word for that is awareness, the higher your level of awareness goes, the more separation there is from your thoughts. You know, I, I'm not my thoughts. I know that now. When you're at a low level of consciousness, you're fully identified with it, which is, again, when you look at the crazy things that are happening in the world, it's, it's being driven by people who think that their thoughts are true and valid and therefore <laughs> If someone else has a different viewpoint, you know what? Now we're having a war. Now we're having a fight. So as as I see it, as awareness or consciousness goes up, there's more separation. There's more space between me as awareness and my thoughts, my feelings, which means I can also view my, my 
you know, almost my ego from a bit of a distance. I can see myself as, ah, okay, well, I'm a 41-year-old white male born into England. That's a pretty privileged position if I compare myself to... I don't know, someone born in Africa in a in a slum, you know, that that's a fundamentally different experience. Could I have written the book I've written if I lived there? I may not even be literate to be able to write that. Could I invest money in finances? No, because I'd be just trying to make ends meet just for me and my family. So I, I just think as awareness goes up, you, you get a bit of distance and a bit of separation. And, and with that, you start to realise just how much privilege there is and, and how much discrimination there is in, in the world. But again, fish in water, I think we're so close to it, we, we often don't see it. Mm. Now, something that you mentioned, I wanna, I want you to unpack a bit. You said one of your missions in life is to raise your consciousness or awareness. And that, that elevation is what provided you that objectivity and that context to understand where you sit in terms of the world in relation to everyone else. Um, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, what, 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 what was the driver for that mission to, to, to raise that level of consciousness? Like, where did that desire come from? Mm. Where did that desire come from? Um, suffering, mm. I would say. So, you know, I shared what, what played out for my mum and when I was growing up and, you know, that was the environment I grew up in. So a lot of those things started to play out for me when I was in my teens and, and through into my 20s. So I was suffering with periods of anxiety and depression as well, because it was, you know, that was my mindset. I'd almost absorbed some of that. And, and I was going to ask that question. Do you think you absorbed that from your mom because she was experiencing that when you were being uh, raised? Yeah, I, th I think you do. I think we're, we're a product of who we are, you know, some of, some of our genes and whatever. And I do think we're a product of our environment as well. So, um, you know, I always remember um, when I was about 14, 15, going to the cinema with a friend who I, it was like a new friend, someone I'd, he didn't know me at all before. And we, um, we were queuing up. And I thought I was just having a normal conversation with him. And then he just said to me after about five minutes, he said, you're really negative, aren't you? Mm. And I was like, whoa, like, I just, I remember it. It really shocked me. And I realized that I'd been talking about all the things that weren't good about oh, the length of the queue and, did, and I don't know, whatever else. I can't remember the specifics, but I remember it shocked me to the extent that it stayed as a memory till now. And again, what that points to for me is that if I'd grown up in an environment where it, there wasn't the negativity, mm would I have picked up that neg that slant, unconscious bias towards thinking negatively about things? No, I don't think I would. So I think we do just almost by osmosis um, absorb and develop those kind of things. So, so I was suffering, and I don't use that word lightly, with anxiety and, and depression um, and wondering whether that was just it. You know, is that my course? You know, have I, you know, I've been unfortunate, either it's in my genes or it's from my upbringing and, and that's it. But I didn't want that to be it. So I was like, well, let's figure out what else there is. is. Is there another path? And that definitely was the driver and led me towards the work of Eckhart Tolle, who wrote The Power of Now, which is an amazing book in the space of mindfulness and, and well-being. Um, and then that opened up lots of doors and ended up that this has become the world that I'm fascinated by and everything about well-being 
mindfulness consciousness and and everything in that space so yeah that but the catalyst was definitely suffering which i think probably i'm guessing you know maybe for some of your listeners when something gets tough enough it forces you to look for another alternative so i'm guessing maybe something around finances if 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 you're struggling to make ends meet and that is causing enough suffering the suffering gets to a point where it serves a purpose because it's like a wake up mm. it's like i have to do something different and suddenly they reach out and they find your podcast and that maybe opens a gateway to some other possibilities some other resources and you know it's it's interesting it's interesting to hear you say that the driver for that the catalyst was the suffering uh, because that's part of the reason why I started this podcast. Uh, I remember I was back in the States in March of 2020. Uh, yeah, March of 2020. And I had just flew back. And this is right before the public murder of George Floyd. This is right before the global protest started. This is right before the protest started in the United States. And I was having a conversation with my dad and we were talking about the podcast and I was telling him how he was an inspiration because, you know, as kids, it was a taboo subject in the household. It wasn't something that we talked about. And now as an adult, when I became financially literate, I said it was it was it was eye opening. It literally changed my life. But when we were younger, you know, it was something that I wanted to know about and it was something that I knew we didn't have enough of. And, and, and for me, that brought a bit of suffering because I had that scarcity mind, mind, mind frame and I would do things out of desperation that I, that I don't think people would normally do if they had that, that understanding and if they had that, um, that knowledge of financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting to hear you say that. Um, I'm just looking at one of the, the, the last questions that I asked you. It's about a message that you could send to yourself in 10 years and into the future. What would that message be? And your answer was follow your element and the money will flow. Could you unpack that a bit? This this podcast is about financial literacy. And I, I, I think the context that you've answered the question in will provide a lot of insight to people in, in relation to finance finances and just living a purposeful life. Absolutely. Okay. So I kind of, as I see it, it seems to me that there's a common misunderstanding um, around where money lies and where security actually lies. And the common misunderstanding as I see it is there are certain jobs that pay X amount of money, X amount of money equals security and happiness. So I need to go into that. Now, that makes logical sense. There is a logic there. That pays X and that's higher than Y. So if I go there, I'll get it. And then, you know, the the common understanding is that money equals happiness or contentment. So if all of that were true, then brilliant, go and do that. But actually what I've noticed over the years in my own experience and also working with clients is some of that's not based on truth. But the first mistruth to unpack is that um, money doesn't equal happiness um it's a complete lack of money will equal suffering i would agree with that in most circumstances unless you happen to be an enlightened master and you could live you know in contentment whatever i think that is possible but not for most of us um but you know there are so many studies now that show that once you get to a certain level of income there is no correlation at all between income and happiness Mm -hmm. 
they, they are just separate things. You've got billionaires out there who are still very unhappy and you have people who we might see as living on the breadline who are very contented and happy and everyone in between. So they're not a direct correlation. So that's just the first thing. And then the second thing is that if you're going to look for security, be conscious of what you're securing. Mm. Because yes, you may be securing high pay or higher pay and benefits. That's great. Go for that. And yet, if you're doing it when you're outside of your element, your element is where your strengths and your passions intersect. Your strengths are the things you're naturally good at. The passions are the things that you love to do. If you're securing higher pay, but outside of your element, you're not playing to your strengths, you're not playing to your passions, then you won't experience security. Mm. The reason being, yes, the paycheck will come. Yes, you'll be able to pay the bills and save for holidays, but you will always have a fear that you're about to get found out. And you will always be looking over your shoulder at other people coming in who it is their element because they it is bent to their strengths, it is bent to their passions, and they're coming up faster and they're getting promotions and you're not. And now when you get to redundancies, UK term again, when you've got to reapply for your role, there's, oh my God, I'm going to be the one to get the tap on the shoulder. Mm. So true security for me is actually understanding what am I naturally good at? Just naturally good at. Um, what, am, what do I love to do? What are my passions? So what are my strengths? What are my passions? And where do they intersect? Mm. And that's what Sir Ken Robinson coined as, as your element. If you build your career long-term around your element, you're regularly moving in that direction. Mm. There's no, that's true security. The only thing you're going to get found out for is that you're brilliant at what you're doing and you're in the right place. Mm. your company will love you because you're going to add the most value they will never want to get rid of you and even if the industry crashed and you wanted to get, had to go somewhere else you know you're playing to your strengths and passions you know you'll get a great role somewhere else as well or you could set up it on your own now that's true security the other thing there is that is in my experience that's where the money really flows because in your element you are adding the most unique value to the world money rewards it flows to where you're adding value in my experience it's one of the things tony robbins always talks about you know one of the you know big us coaches if you are adding value the more value you add the more money will flow so that would be my invitation is you don't have to write off the high paying jobs if you can be in your element there go for it but follow your element and then find the paths where the where you can add the most value rather than going after the jobs where you feel like you should go for if that's taking you away from your element mm. And one final question. Do you believe that um, in what you're saying and, and finding your element, would that also be um, useful with, for someone who's experiencing mental health issues, such as that anxiety, that depression that you talked about before? Yeah, absolutely. I see it as a there's no one answer to anxiety, depression, any of these low states, as I, as I see it, it it's, uh, you know, there's a holistic perspective on all of these things. So you know, it was exactly, you know, the, the journey that people will go through if, with on purpose and that I take people through is understanding if you are, you could work with the best coach on the planet or the best therapist on the planet and sort out your mindset so it's true, helpful, free up all those limits and beliefs. Amazing. 
if I take you with that mindset and I put you into a job where you're not playing to your strengths, actually it's your weaknesses and you're not passionate about it. And then I'm going to watch what's going on with your mind. It's not a good environment for your mind. It's not a good thought environment. You're going to feel you're going to experience red thoughts. You're going to feel stressed and worried and bored or anxious or whatever. Equally, if I take you and place you into your element where your strengths and passions are, are there and you're playing to them, but you don't understand, you haven't separated yourself from your thoughts yet. And actually the mindset isn't a great mindset. You're, you're in self-doubt all the time. You're worried about what's going to happen next. Da, da, da. Equally, there's no rainbow there. You're not going to love it in that place. So it's to bring the two together. There's something around separating yourself from your mind, understanding that you are the master of your mind. And it's a lifelong journey to mastery and programming your mind in the best possible way, creating a mindset and alongside that navigating your life in the direction of your strengths, your passions, your element. That's the sweet spot. So it's the combination of the inner work and the outer work and that in my own personal experiences is where the magic happens. That is an excellent summary to conclude the interview. Uh, Steve, I wanna say thank you. Could you also let our, our listeners know and our, uh, the people who are watching where we can find you again, your URL, and also plug your book once more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the book is on purpose. Uh, there we are. Here to do <laughs> so uh yeah that's available on amazon uh audible and kindle so just type in on purpose or steve chamberlain and, and that should come up for you okay um and yeah if you want to find out more about my work just head to stevechamberlain.co.uk um you can also email me hello at stevechamberlain.co.uk and if you um would like me to share there's some tools around finding your element um really happy to provide free free of charge so just drop me a message and say can you send me that uh, that element tool or whatever and I'll, I'll send that through as well very happily thank you steve and to all who are listening and watching i would highly recommend you use steve he is a a phenomenal resource and an amazing human being uh, again thank you for being a guest on the show and uh, we'll speak soon my pleasure thanks Trey.